This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. This is someone I've wanted to have in for a long time, and she's been here before, but it's been a while because, you know, schedules are schedules. Uh, Susan Claremont from the Hamilton Spectator, columnist, crime columnist, not just crime, though, crime and other things columnist with the Hamilton Spectator. Glad you're here. Thanks for coming in. It's good to be here, Scott. Yeah, it's been a while, but we're glad you are back. And probably now you're all bleary-eyed because you were up at 6 o'clock this morning to watch the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. No. (laughs) No? You didn't do that? I didn't do that. I've done that for royal weddings, but not the Olympics. I'm sorry. Will you do that for the next royal wedding? Are you still, like, is the royal wedding Trump the Olympics still? You know what it does for me because I watched Charles and Diana get married when I was a little girl, got up with my mom. So there's there's that. History. There is. And and something about like actually watching it live and getting up at an ungodly hour. But uh, opening ceremonies, I will watch that. I'll be looking for it tonight on wherever. See, I would have thought knowing that Mr. Tonga was going to be marching in. <laughs> We were talking about that in the newsroom today, weren't we? <laughs> uh, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, you may recall at the Rio Olympics two years ago, there was a guy from Tonga who was a Taekwondo artist, competitor. I don't know what the exact, what the noun is to go with that. But anyway, and he came marching in like he'd been sprayed with a oil from a fire hose. He was just glistening. And he was topless, shirtless, not topless. I guess women are topless, men are shirtless. I don't know why that is. But anyway, he was to- shirtless. Glistening in oil, muscled up, muscled up, and all everybody was like, "Ooh, Mr. Tonga!" Yeah, he was all over Twitter everywhere, and yeah. Well, he somehow Tonga is not a cool place. He somehow learned how to cross country ski in the last year, qualified, reached a qualifying level, made the Tongan team. Well, they didn't really have a team. He is the team, and came marching into the stadium this morning. In sub-zero temperatures, Susan, again, no shirt, oiled up. Now, I don't know if it was oil this time or ice. I'm not sure, but... I don't know. Maybe if you wear enough oil, it keeps you warm. I, or maybe it was lard. To inha- you know, like women, like the, all the long-distance women swimmers wear when they yeah. do the crossing yeah. of the Lake Ontario. So maybe he Protective just covered himself layer. in lard. I don't think that's why he was wearing it, though. I, d- I think it's his thing. I, oh, it's his thing. Yeah. I was, I, I was very concerned for... Not only him, but those around him today. If someone, I, all I had this image in my mind is of someone from like a Christmas story when they stick their tongue to the telephone pole. If someone had stuck their tongue to him, they would have stuck. He would have been frozen. <laughs> that would have been a whole other story. It would have been him. very embarrassing yeah. for that uh, other athlete. But how, how he, that opening ceremonies, now I, I'm watching it tonight like you, I've taped it. Yep. It went on for several hours though, and he was standing out there in this sub-zero the whole temperature. Time? Apparently, he didn't, they didn't cover him up. Well, they have the the show before the athletes, and then they march the athletes in, and then there's a little more show. But ev- there were so many selfies on Twitter today of people posing with him. He must have been standing there for some <laughs> extended period of time, and I'm just thinking that poor guy has put all this effort into qualifying for the Olympics, and now probably has hypothermia and won't even be able to compete. But do you think he cares? Do you think he cares? I think he's having the time of his life. I I couldn't believe it. When I saw the the photos from the opening ceremony, I actually walked across the newsroom to to Terry Pekoski in the sports department and said, am I, is this real? Like, is somebody Photoshopped this? Is this a joke that like, or is he really at the Olympics? He's really there. And, And the thing about him that's amazing is, You'll remember back in Calgary in 84 when the Jamaican bobsled team was there for the first time that brought cool runnings to us and Eddie the Eagle. Remember Eddie the Eagle, the ski jumper with the thick Coke bottle glasses? They didn't used to have Olympic standards. So as long as you were the best in your country, you could go to the Olympics. So I could... If you, if, yeah, if you were if from, I, if it was just me, if you lived on some island, if you were from Dominica and you said, I'm a ski jumper. There you go. It was after Eddie the Eagle that they put in qualifying standards. So the amazing thing to me is that Mr. Tonga, whose name is Peta, of all things, he sounds like a bread, but anyway, Peta actually reached the Olympic standard in doing it for one year, which is amazing to me. It really is. I when you love think of stories like that, that's what I love about the Olympics. Now he'll come last. Is but it doesn't matter. It's an amazing human interest story, right? And it's, I yeah, you know, and there are more like this. There's now a Nigerian bobsled team a female Nigerian bobsled team, be watching for them because that's one of those great stories. 
I just want to know if PETA is going to do the entire race, the entire 30K cross-country race shirtless and oiled up. I don't know if you're allowed to. I. That'd be awesome. Well, don't you have to wear your colors, your country's colors? Well, you have to have, a, you have, to have a singlet or like a, a number on, but you could, he could... Look, if he's willing to slather himself in oil, he's willing to staple a number to his chest, I'm guessing. <laughs> uh, he, I just think he's looking at this thinking, this has got to be worth a fortune for him in endorsements. To be there the second time, the first time he was a bit of a, you know, a, a meme. He, this has got to be worth money to him now. Somebody's going to give him an endorsement for something. Oil. <laughs> <Exactly>. I, <laughs> oil, something you wipe oil off with. I don't know what you do for that, but... Yeah, I, I intend to watch and uh, fast forward through lots of it. I spent a summer in Korea. I love South Korea, but I still would intend to probably fast forward through a whole bunch of it. Well, Unless they what, have are a, your, what are your favorite events? What do you like at the Winter Olympics? Uh, you know, I, I'm really, well, th- especially this year, um, I am really looking forward to the ones that we have local athletes in, to be honest. Uh, the women's hockey team, we have three local women who are on there, the bobsleigh. Um, yeah. There's lots. We're, we'll, we'll maybe talk about that later as I go get oiled up and take off my shirt for the next segment. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. There is a discretionary fund, and I'm not sure what the exact name of it is. I think it may just be the discretionary fund, that counselors in the old city of Hamilton, so the lower city, not Flamborough, not Ancaster, not Dundas, the lower city, And I think maybe a little bit of the upper city. I'm not sure though. But they get this discretionary fund of $100,000 a year that is given to them that they can spend however they want with really no oversight, no rules, no regulations. What do you make of this thing? It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And I've always been puzzled by... That's big coin there. Well, I've always been puzzled by the fact that it's entirely up to them. Now, some of them have decided to democratize it a little bit by having meetings and stuff, but it's still entirely up to them about what they want to do with this. Entirely up to them. And we don't usually even hear what they've spent it on uh, in the long run. So uh, you're right. I think uh, Ward 1 has sort of a tradition of putting it out there to constituents to vote on what they'll use the hundred thousand mm-hmm. for, but um, but Ward I think one and Ward two. I think Jason Farr and Aiden Johnson have both, both done of them. That. Yep. Yeah, and but otherwise, I mean, councillors are spending it, uh, donating it to you know certain groups or buying a drone yeah, or right. <laughs> uh, you know crazy things like that. And um, you know, unless you go looking for it, you're not likely to find what they have spent the money But that's on. kind of the idea, it sounds like, of it. That there's no trail. Unless they choose to leave a breadcrumb trail, right. there's no trail. They can do whatever they want. And I suppose that we assume that counselors are on the up and up with this, and we take them at their word that they're on the up and up. And I'm assuming that they have to have some sort of proof of spending. I would hope so. But, but still... But we're not seeing it. The taxpayers aren't seeing it. And $100,000, Scott, that's a lot of money, you know? And what else could we be doing with it, first of all? Um, but what is it being spent on? Is it is it worthwhile stuff? Is it benefiting the community? Um I don't know. Well, and a hundred thousand dollars in the grands, it is a is it a lot? Of, it is a lot of money yeah. to the average person. I mean, how many people in the city make a hundred thousand? I mean, we see the sunshine list, but it's the vast minority. Right. But when you add up all the different counselors who get to spend this, that's when you start to actually get up to some serious money because now it's it's not a hundred thousand; it's over a million that is being spent on this thing, and it's um. Right. Well, we're being so careful everywhere else about, you know, uh, limiting budgets and cutting services and cutting staff. And then we realize that there is that kind of money that's being spent without really any accountability. Because we are kind of broke. We are kind of broke in this city. We talk about this infrastructure deficit we have. And I grant you that, again, when you're talking $3 billion, 1.7 million is, or I think that's the total number, is not a huge chunk of that, but are there not arenas or parks or whatever that, you know, a million and point, a million and a half dollars could actually help? Like there's so many places you would think this could go to. There is. And it, and it's not that, um, you know, I, 
I don't mind the idea of the $100,000 if I know that it's being spent well and that it's benefiting a lot of people in the community. But I'm not sure that that's always the case. I, I don't think I'm benefiting from a drone. Are you, Scott? Are you benefiting from the drone? I am waiting for my drone benefit to arrive. Maybe, maybe at some point my municipal tax refund check will be delivered to my front door by drone. Yep. Oh, there you go. Although I'm still waiting for that refund check to arrive by mail, let alone by any other way. So, but no, some of the things that have been given out and many people who are listening may have read this story or heard this, a $1,000 literary contest prize, which on its face, nothing wrong with that. We'll get to all these things, but I mean, these things are not necessarily bad things. They're just there's a lot to this. A $2,100, as you say, Phantom 3 professional drone. Not even a run-of-the-mill drone, a Phantom 3. I don't know what that is. It sounds like a silver cloud rolls or something. A combined $15,000 to help a scout troop and minor hockey team travel to out-of-town events. Okay, that's a lot of money. And, and, yeah, and, and... But I don't know enough about it, no. right? Is that 15000 well spent? I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. If if it, if this was a, yeah, I mean, if if this is a low income, super low income neighborhood, and these kids, these scout troop needs some money to go. Uh, again, I'm I'm not not okay with that, but we don't know a whole lot about this. Or the hockey team is this? What what hockey team is this for? Where is the out of town event? Is this? There are some where I would say, okay, I can live with that. I can, I'm okay with that. And there's others I would say, I think you can probably make your own That's way. That's why it needs to be discussed and, and made public. Uh, uh, $50,000 over two years to pay for an outreach worker uh, employed by a charitable agency. Two years of funding worth $60,000 to build a website for an arts group. See, now you start getting into stuff that you go, wait a second. Not only is 60000 starting to be a lot of money, but... What about all the other then arts groups or right. the other community groups? Why or whatever that else? one and not the others? Why yeah. that one and not the others? We're going to take a quick break for weather and traffic. When we come back, though, I want to stay with this because the cynical side of me says, you know what this sounds like to me? A re-election slush fund to buy votes. That's my inclination when I first hear this. Well, You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. We're talking about the city's discretionary funding that goes to old I, I keep having to put the hyphen in there when I say old city politicians this is not about the age of the politician <laughs> the old city politicians from the old city I said that a couple times and I thought you know I'm probably insulting some of these people they're not that old but before the break I had said you know when you look at these people in the old city and part of the city getting this chance to send scout troops away or put arts groups websites together whatever it comes across to me like this is if you're a city politician this is a way you make sure you get some votes from some people to make sure you get reelected it sounds like it's a legal but susan pretty i don't know pretty obvious pretty questionable yeah. way to buy votes the optics aren't good are they you know and like you said earlier scott i mean this might all be uh money going to good causes but when it's one politician with $100,000 to hand out to whomever they wish without our say-so, uh, I don't but know even, about that. But, you know, and you're right. But even the couple or maybe it's more, but the two that we know of, Ward 1 and Ward 2, that right. do this democratically, is that not even, while they're probably do well, I would say while they are definitely doing better than some of the others with this, does that not even more come across like, well, I can make sure I get some votes here because now I can let the people decide. And they're all happy now with what we're doing with this. Look, I'm letting you decide. It, ta- like- it takes the pressure off the off the councillor, that's for sure. But, but you know, you're right. If, if you are, um, if you're not part of the, the group or if you're not supporting the uh, one winning cause, uh, you know, I don't know how you'd feel about spending that 100000 how do I, if I decide that I'm going to run in one of these wards to run for city council and someone else has just handed out $100,000 in goodies to a bunch of people in the community, how do I win their votes? 
again, this is what it comes across to me is this is illegal. There's nothing illegal about this. I want to stress that this is, and this is part of the problem. There's nothing illegal, but it seems like a very convenient way. And the other part of this that I find so puzzling is that this is only for some of the counselors. Some of the other right. ones don't get to do it, which makes yeah, for true. taxpayers now in the city, in those parts of the city that don't have this, it makes even less sense to me. It, uh, yeah, I think we need to rethink this process. I mean, just because it's been done like this forever doesn't mean that it needs to carry on. And, you know, our uh, our City Hall reporter, Matt Van Dodgen, has been raising this question all week, you know, talking about is this really in, in this, you know, day and age when there um, should be so many checks and balances, when there are a lot of organizations in need, when we need uh, more oversight of government spending, should we really have $100,000 in discretionary funding? If I live in Flamborough, I don't, but if I were to live in Flamborough and I've been told now, A, your ward is being dismantled, basically. B, you're going to be paying a lot for the LRT and you don't have any kind of real transit system up there. And now, oh, by the way, your councillor doesn't get this kind of money to share, but you're paying taxes towards downtown councillors who are getting this. These things start to add up. You can understand why some people in the burbs are saying just wait a second, I'm contributing an awful lot. Now, people can disagree, but if you're out there, you're saying, I'm paying taxes just like you are, what exactly am I paying this to? Right. What's it going to? What's it going to? We love the idea of fairness in our society. Fair. Everything's going to be fair. This, This doesn't strike me as fair. It doesn't. Doesn't and uh, you know that that's sort of the best case scenario is that it's unfair and worst case scenario is that you know you've used the term slush fund right I mean it, it uh, um, there's some real ethical questions around this and at no point has anyone suggested that anything has been used improperly no one is buying illegal things no one is whatever else. But it just, it stinks. The idea of it just to me just stinks that you are able to put this to something that maybe for a great community event or maybe something that you look at and say, hey, this could actually help me stay around this council table for a little while longer for another term. But what's it going to take? Do you think a councillor will ever say no thank you to the $100,000? I don't know. What do you think? Do you think anyone would? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? I, would, I don't know. If you want to talk about winning votes, maybe uh, maybe saying no to $100,000 would win more votes than spending $100,000. I'd like to take my 100000 and put it towards the infrastructure deficit and or towards fixing roads that are falling apart, like Burlington Street that every year is among the worst roads in Canada, according to CAA, or, or something else, anything else. I'd like to put it towards some event that we can now save the money. Something that the whole city can benefit from? Let me put my money towards super crawl so we can take that super crawl money and put it towards other arts in the city or something else. There's so many different ways. It would be an, it would be an interesting thing if a counselor, because I Let's think- Let's just it, throw that out there and see if any counselors can- But I think it would that. take one. Because if you, let's say Susan Claremont Ward <clears throat> counselor said, I am passing on mine. Do you not think the pressure would be immense on the others then to stand up and say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do that too. I think it would be. I don't know if they'd do it, but I think it would be pretty intense. leadership. Yep. We've had that before where we've had people try and take a stand on stuff. Um, Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes the example is set. Sometimes, I mean, we had Councillor Skelly try to pass a motion to have five minute questioning limits done. Right. I think that did pass eventually. And, uh, you know, things like... But it took forever like to decide. Not not bringing lunches in for the counselors, Ex- having them one. pay for their own lunches. Another right? one. I mean, uh, you know, and that one isn't even a big budget item, but it's the principle of it. It's the optics It's of the it. message that it sends yeah, exactly. that if everyone else is being asked to pay more taxes and do this, that we can also tighten up. I, no, I, I agree. I, I eagerly await the counselor who is going to stand up and say, I'm passing on this. Please put it towards whatever and let's see what happens. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. So next week there are people listening who will go to their mailbox, will run to their mailbox, 
may knock over elderly women on their way to the mailbox, like George Costanza escaping a fire in Seinfeld, because the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition will be landing on their doorsteps. I understand, by the way, before we get to this topic, I understand you were on vacation and you actually... Your life and that of the swimsuit models intersected briefly. Yeah, yeah. You you wouldn't normally think that you'd hear you know my name and Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition in the same sentence, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, but, uh, my family we were in Aruba nice. recently on vacation over the Christmas holidays, and uh, a week or two before we arrived. At the very resort that we were staying at, the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition was being shot. It must have been a popular place that week. I, or did uh, they clear the beach? I, I don't, well, you wouldn't I know, don't, I guess. It was a private beach, actually, oh. with flamingos on it. Of course and, it was. Uh, and girls in swimsuits. So. Do they import the flamingos or do they naturally occur there? The uh, flamingos are not natural to Aruba, but they live, they brought them in and they live on this beach so you can go and you feed them out of your hand. It was pretty cool. Well, while I am fascinated by that story <laughs> because I, you know, I, I don't know anyone else who's come that close to a swimsuit model, really. I thought you were going to say flamingo. But or flamingo. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm puzzled by this year's Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, and I'll tell you why. Because one of the, and this has been in the news the last few days, I do not have an inside track to the models. There is going to be a photo feature in this particular magazine with a number of models not participating in the part of the magazine that would be swimsuit. They are just au naturel. Now, I I understand they may be covering up the essential parts, but the whole bit of this is they are wearing nothing but lettering that has been written onto their bodies of words of power and empowerment as their sort of nod or connection to the Me Too movement. We are showing that we are part of Me Too, that we are, well, here's where it gets confusing because we're saying we are not to be treated as sex objects, but you're posing nude in a magazine where typically women are being ogled. And that's the reason for the magazine because you're writhing around in sand in a barely there bikini on the beach. I'm very puzzled by the, but that's not the same as the Me Too movement. But that's, that's what they're saying. That's what they're but, saying. But is being being sexy and being groped or propositioned are are really you can be sexy without in. That's not saying it's okay to grope me. But I've I have understood, and I think a lot of people have the concept of Me Too is that. But it's also women are not just pieces of meat that are for your sexual pleasure. They are women. They are humans. They are to be taken seriously, and they're not just about the. It, it seems like a very odd place to be arguing for that movement in I don't that know. context. It seems like the perfect place to be you arguing so? for that movement. Well, I mean, if the Me Too movement is about um, making men understand who's your audience at Sports Illustrated, you're you're talking directly to to a male audience. But is the audience you're talking to not in the moment doing exactly the opposite of what you would want men to be doing with women and how they're looking at women and their bodies and their usefulness no, in I society? I don't think so. I mean, if a, if, if a woman finds it empowering to... Um, to be in a bikini or less and um, and be sexy if that's her choice and she puts herself out there and wants to do that, then that's one thing. I think the Me Too movement is about women who are not inviting um, any attention like that, but get it anyways. It's an interesting perspective. I, I, I had looked at this as the Me Too thing is partly that and partly the idea that women, as I say, well, the point I said at the top, are it's not just that you are there for someone's visual pleasure or what, or other kinds of pleasure. And it, seemed, it just seemed like a very odd thing for me, an odd thing to me. Oh, this one's interesting because it, it makes sense to me. It does. It does. Yeah. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. I was kind of surprised at your answer on this one, and it's 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 good, it's fine. I We were just chatting about the idea that Sports Illustrated models for the swimsuit edition 
are taking a position that they are part of the answer to the Me Too hashtag thing. So they're posing nude, covering the parts that need to be covered, but with letter writing, words written on their body to show their strength and their whatever else. And I, I just, I found this a cumbersome connection. You find, you say it makes a lot of sense. I think it does. I mean, I, I think that they are addressing the audience that needs to be addressed. I think that they are um, strong, powerful women who are, um, who are celebrating their bodies, celebrating their sexuality, and they're doing it in a way where, where they have control of the message. Okay, so... I was reading something a couple days ago. I don't know where it was one of these tweets or whatever. And it was a woman complaining that at her office. Oh no, it was a, I don't know where it was. Anyway, she was complaining that at her office, there were guys who would be staring at her chest while she would talk. And she was putting this into the category of what's going on with the whole me too thing. I am not a chunk of meat for your pleasure. And when I then see this, I say, well, wait, so if that is, and I would agree that that falls into the category, if that is not the behavior we, behavior we want guys to do by be checking out the girls at, or women at work. How is this different to be checking out women well, because here? because the woman in the office, she that's not her job. Her job isn't to be there for men to stare at. I, she, she has work to do. Yes. But if you are a swimsuit model and you've chosen to be a swimsuit model or wearing less as you a were skin model. In this, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's your job. You've chosen to, to do that. And so is it what you're wearing then? No, it's, it's what you're, it's, it's what you're there for. The woman in the office isn't there to be stared at. A model is there to be, to be looked at. That's, that's what she and I, is I, doing for a living. And that's again, what that's, empowers her. that second part I agree with, but let me get into something really uh, that will get me in a lot of trouble. I understand that. But th- we know and we agree that nobody asks for it based on what they wear, right? No one's saying that, that if you wear something that is provocative, that you're asking to be sexually right. assaulted or anything like that. No one's suggesting that. But if you show up at the office, as some do, you know this as well as I do, that are more... What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Uh, more, 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 more is showing, shall we say? And someone stares at you. Is that the same as a model who is showing more for someone to look at them? Do you understand where I'm going on this one? If you dress to say I want you, to, I want to be seen, not to be assaulted. I, want, I mean, I, again, we got to be clear here. But if you dress to in a way that says I am dressing in that particular fashion and someone notices you or looks there, is that not the same as a model doing that kind of thing? I want to be looked at. No, I, I don't think so. And I, I think, you know, first of all, I think a lot of women dress for themselves and um, aren't thinking about what the effect is on, on other people. They're dressing because they like fashion, because they they want to wear what they want to wear. It's a way of expressing themselves. Um but I think, you know, a woman who dresses that way but goes in to do the job that she's been hired to do, that she's capable of doing, that she's that she's there at the office for, that should be what the focus is on, not anything else. And I, I think that's the difference between between that and a woman who has makes has chosen to make a career out of being beautiful or being sexy or, or wearing certain clothes. Um, you know, we're, it's two different, two different jobs. Well, I, I'm glad I know now because on Monday when I show up shirtless and greased down like Mr. Tonga in the office. Yeah. And you I know, get that's ogled. probably a, in our newsroom at the spec. That would be a health and safety issue, <laughs> I think. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. There was a great story. Well, I think a lot of people would think it was great because we you heard this about this couple in just outside Hamilton who won 23 million bucks yeah, in the lottery yeah. this week. It wasn't me. It was not me yeah. either. I think I would like that. But I always go back to that story that our former colleague Molly Hayes wrote about people who have won millions of dollars in the lottery and it's completely ruined their life and then the money is gone and then you don't know. I'd like to think that I would be capable of handling $23 million, 
I'd be willing to take a chance to give it a crack. But besides that, and that's a great story, and they're in, they look like a lovely retired couple, and good for them. I hope it's um, I hope it's a wonderful experience for them. In the states, there is a slightly larger lottery at play here. A person in New Hampshire. We are we are told it's a woman. We are told she's from New Hampshire. That's all we know about her right now, other than the fact that she won $560 million in a Powerball lottery. One ticket, one winner, $560 million U.S., so that's about $15 billion Canadian. I don't even know how much that is in Canadian money, but $560 million. She, however, has not come forward and has not collected the money because she's in a court battle right now, arguing that she should not have to present herself publicly and should not have to announce who she is so that she could remain anonymous. This, however, flies in the face of the rules of the lottery corporation. Same here, that it's part of the deal, that if you win, you're part of their advertising campaign. What do you think about that? Should you, if you win a lottery, should you be allowed to maintain your anonymity? No, because you're you're entering into the lottery and... Um, uh, with the knowledge that those are the rules. You can't change the rules after you win. They're, the rules are the rules, man. Well, I, I get that, but no one actually thinks they're going to win. So when you finally do, especially 560 million, so then all of a sudden reality hits you and you go, do you know what's going to happen to me in my life if everybody that I've ever met, that I'm related to closely or out of distance, if they all know that I've got $560 million, my kids could be kidnapped. That, I mean, not to be funny, but I mean, you're, you're talking about from the, I don't want to give my old Aunt Esmeralda a new car because I hate her and she'll know right to the idea of someone could kidnap my family or take me hostage. Well, that's pretty extreme. But I mean, honestly, how could she not know that that was the rule when she when she bought the ticket? I mean, we see that all the time. There are, there are media stories every day about lottery winners. For that little is, bits of money. But that's part of the deal. It's not like you, it, it's okay if you win 100, but not if you win a thousand. I mean, it's the the rule is the rule. I mean, maybe maybe it's time to change the rule. I wouldn't argue with that. But she bought that ticket. You know, you're entering into a bit of a contract there. It's it's you know it's what you what you bought into. And I I completely agree with you. But at the same time, I do have this thought that if I was that winner. I don't know that I would, and I, you're right, the rule is the rule, but I can see where she's coming from that I don't want everyone to know that I have this money. I could absolutely see why she feels I this way. I can see that too. And that's probably why I don't buy lottery tickets because, you know, it'd be really, <laughs> be really tough on me if I won. But, um, it'd be so awkward if I was suddenly a millionaire. <laughs> But I mean, the reality is that is how how lotteries run, and that's how they advertise. It's by telling the stories of those winners, right? We don't get a whole lot of information about them. It's their uh, it's their name. They do a you know, uh, their city, their city, and you know the media can uh, ask for an interview, and they can you know decline if they so wish. But they get a picture too, and that's the other but part. They, they picture. their picture yeah. is taken, so they suddenly their face is known. I mean, you have kids, I have kids, that part of it, that part of it does give me a little bit of the heebie-jeebies though, especially with this kind of money. If I win a lottery for a hundred thousand dollars, no one's... Well, she didn't have to buy the ticket. No, she didn't. She did not have to buy the ticket. And I I would, I bet you if you strapped her to a lie detector machine, she never said, oh, I'm going to win. You're buying the ticket. I See, this is the funny thing about lotteries. I don't know why most people buy lottery tickets because everyone buys the tickets and says, I'm not going to win. Do you buy them? No. No, I don't. I, I think the last lottery ticket I bought was 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Like I just, it's just not something I wouldn't be opposed to buying one occasionally if there was some reason. I just don't do it as a force of habit, but I, everyone says I buy them, but I'm not going to win. Well, then why buy them? I mean, honestly, <laughs> if you go play sports, you don't go, I'm going to play, but I'm going to lose. There's logic there, but well, because it's completely out of your control. I mean, if you get out on the field or out I on suppose. the ice, you can, you know, you can work at it. You can't really work at winning the lottery. She, uh, her $560 million, and again, that's US, she can have that over in chunks over her lifetime or over some period of time, or a $352 million 
lump sum payment. The other part about this, this is totally irrelevant. Um, The story says that she is losing $14,000 a day in interest, which I thought- (laughs) Get your head around that. Well, no, but yes, I'd love to have 14,000. But if you're winning 352 million lump sum, did you not expect the interest would be more than $14,000 a day? Seems like that's a very low number, it's relatively speaking. It's not something speaking. I've ever given thought to It's not, to but I just, before. $352 million is, is it's a lot of money. But I, see, I would, I would support her fighting this. I don't think she's going to win. And I agree with you that the rules are the rules, but I would be okay for the most part if people didn't have to announce themselves. Because we have enough weirdos and, I mean, listen, you cover I, crime. I, I, I think it, I think it's a good point, Scott. I think maybe it is time to to revisit that, and there might very well be legal grounds for for arguing against it. But or put I'm not a, sure put, that that's going to help her. Well, no. Or put a caveat. What I you know what they uh, what else they could do? Put a caveat in the lottery thing that says if you are willing to be identified, you get this much. If you choose not to, the price of your anonymity, honestly, oh, for the winning is half. You get half if you choose that you won't go public, but if you do, you so get you the pay, full thing. You pay for your privacy. You pay for your privacy. And I bet you there'd be a lot of people that say, I'm fine with it. Give me the whole thing. I'll, I'll go public. I don't care. I just have this feeling. When, when the story, the Hamilton story, the famous Hamilton story of the woman who, I think it was, was it $10 million? I think she won 15, something, something like, like that. that. And it was gone like that. She lived not far away from us. Everybody that I knew, knew that was the house. That house right there, the one we drive by, that was the house of the person who won the lottery. There is no secrecy anymore, no anonymity anymore when you are that person. Now, she also made it rather clear visually that she she suddenly- Crazy expensive cars. In yes, the there were some. There were, so you could yeah. maybe, but even before I saw the car, I knew that's the house where the person who won the lottery. It's not like you're going to do this and it's going to be subtle. And so someone, you know, break into your house or again, I, I would be worried about it. I really would. Maybe I'm just a pessimist or maybe I'm just anxious about these things. I would be worried if I suddenly had millions and millions of dollars and everybody knew. I would too, but I don't know that I but really need deal. to worry about that. <laughs> well, we're, we're both holding out great hope. The spectator will be giving out million dollar bonuses this year, but we're still waiting for that one. I, I would, I would like to see that rule change. And this of course flies in the face of what we both do for a living. We want openness and everything. I just would hate to think that you would have something good happen in your life, which would end up being something that would lead to something terrible. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because you're right. I mean, we we both work in jobs where we expect um, openness from people. We count on openness for people. But um, we are two people who have our pictures in the paper all the time, and we value our own privacy, right? So, Yeah. No, but I mean, what's the... The difference is if I had... $350 million in the bank, there are people who I am convinced, and maybe again, maybe I've watched too many movies, but I'm convinced there will be people who would do things to try to extract that money from you one way or another. Even if it's just scammers, even if it's not someone doing something violent, it's just your entire life is now spent. Is this person someone I can trust? Is this someone I can't? And think of, you probably have immediate and distant and whatever, your family is probably perfect. But many people's families, if they suddenly had this kind of money, every aunt, every uncle, every cousin, every friend, everybody comes out of the woodwork. And if you don't give everybody a huge chunk of money, you are the devil. You are a greedy whatever. Well, that's true. But I mean, your family's going to know where you live anyways. But I I would think that in this day of social media, uh, that... You know, 20 years ago, if you won the lottery, 25 years ago, if you won the lottery uh, and your picture was in the paper once, you know, to... It's gone. And and then it's gone. But now it lives on forever. You know, it's a lot easier to find people now. So I agree. It is a concern and maybe time for... 
lotteries to rethink that. She uh, she plans to remain in New Hampshire and contribute a portion of her winnings to a charitable foundation. Well, that's good news. Doesn't say what portion. I'm giving twelve dollars. Would that be awesome, though? Wouldn't it be like, you know, I, I would just love that to be able to like a million for you and a million for you. You're and like a Hamilton's for Oprah. You. It would. Wouldn't that be the you greatest get a car thing? and you get? Yeah, it would yeah. be kind of fun. It would be a lot I would of fun. Love that. You keep enough for you to be looked after. Because I mean, oh, how yeah, much? How, no, but how much of five hundred and sixty million do you need? You and all the people you love. Yeah, you could take care of everybody. Have you ever done this? Still. Have you ever played this game in your mind that when you hear about one of these, you're lying in bed some night and you can't sleep and you're thinking, okay, if I had five hundred million, and then you realize, okay, if like I keep five million for me, and I give my sister, I have one sister, I give her a million, and I give my parents a million, and I give my wife's sister a million and I get, and you go through this whole thing. You go, okay, now I've looked after everybody and wait, now I've still got $545 million. <laughs> I mean, this I've still, it's so much money that it's- Does it, that keep you awake at night? It Is doesn't keep me awake, but there's been times when I've, I've, you know when it was? The time that I really did the math on this one was there was a, a Powerball down in the States a couple of years ago and the winning was something like $2.3 billion. And there were two tickets that won. So each person won like over a billion dollars. And I thought, what would you do with a billion dollars? I know, it's crazy. You I suppose if you're Bill Gates, you're used to having a billion. But if you're just Joe Blow and suddenly you have a billion dollars. It's a big responsibility. There's nothing in the city of Hamilton probably that you could not buy. Really, I mean, any building, any... Think about that. There's nothing that you could not own in the city of Hamilton. You could walk up to a condo, the whole condo, and go, okay, I just bought that. I just bought that and, you know... It's, it's, it, the money that you're talking about with some of these lottery winnings is staggering. It, yeah, it And is. the things you could do with it is staggering. You and I aren't going to have to worry about it, but you know, maybe someone listening one day wins. But we don't buy lottery tickets. We don't buy lottery so tickets. So we don't have to worry about it. Well, for those who do buy lottery tickets, when you win, as Susan said, our pictures are in the paper <laughs> and our emails are there. You know where to reach <laughs> us for the Scott Radley or Susan Claremont Philanthropic Foundations. Which is basically just us. Or even just an interview. Or just an interview, yeah. We'll take that too. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. For the second time in two weeks, there was a story online about people bringing support pets to an airport to fly with their support pets. A week and a half ago, a woman showed up at the airport with a support peacock. I didn't hear this one. A support peacock. She wanted her peacock to be in the seat next to her on the plane so she could have emotional support while she was flying. And they said, no, you're not taking a peacock on the plane. Peacocks are surly (laughs) giant birds with talons and someone's going to get them. I've never thought of them as being very supportive. No. And this followed, by the way, several months ago, a woman who was allowed, I think it was a woman, pardon me, I, I, I think it was a woman, I could be corrected, but who was allowed to bring a support Vietnamese pot-bellied pig onto a plane. That was allowed to fly with her. It apparently got loose and walked up and down the aisle, pooping all over the place. So the airlines are now saying, no, we're not going to allow willy-nilly just anyone to bring any. So yesterday it became... It went from silly to absolutely farcical because a woman announced that she had brought her emotional support rodent to the airport. She had brought her little hamster that she wanted to fly with. And they said no. So she had no other options. So at the airline's request, she says she flushed it down the toilet. What else are you going to do with a hamster at the airport when you can't take it on the plane with you? (laughs) But I'm thinking, what have we become... That everybody now needs some, I mean, there are people who de- who definitely need a and support use. support animal. But I think the, the question is, what makes a good support animal? Does, I mean, a peacock? I, I, could, I could almost, I could kind of get the potbelly pig. Pigs are very intelligent. A, a peacock, a, a hamster, there have been others. What? There have been others. Imagine if you have your like emotional support pit bull Rottweiler mix that's now foaming at the mouth on the plane while you're flying. You're supported. Everyone else around you is terrified that they're going to be chomped. I mean, it's just, 
I don't. I I understand. Like I know That's... there are kids with uh, uh, kids with autism who have dogs. I know I have a friend whose son has one, and they do wonderful things. Absolutely. And guide dogs and hearing dogs and all these things. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who these are not these animals that we're talking about. These are not medically because those are all suggested. What's the word I'm looking for? Not suggested. They're all almost prescribed by physicians or psychiatrists or other people who work in those fields to say you would benefit. I don't think there's ever been a doctor who has prescribed a peacock for you to come to your house to be helping you through your difficult issues. Well, that can't possibly be legit. I mean, they they couldn't possibly have had paperwork and a doctor's note that said, or whatever you need that says. I need a surly fowl on board. Yeah, there's, I'm not buying it. What were they doing with a peacock? Why? I, well, I don't know. And I, and again, if you like show even, up, even a peacock as a just a plain old <laughs> a pet, pet, not exactly is strange, not exactly cuddly. You don't want your peacock in bed with you at night when you go to sleep. You're not exactly stroking the peacock as it lies and, next and to you. Where are you traveling to with it? Like, are you going to? Like, you know, sightsee around town <laughs> with, with your leash. peacock? I, I don't, don't most, understand. Don't most flights when you land somewhere, don't they say, have you been near any livestock or animals? Well, yes. In fact, I have it right here with me. <laughs> I didn't want to fill out the paperwork. I brought it to show you. I, if you show up at the airport and you have the paperwork, you have some sort of official thing that says, yes, I was told that a support creature would be a benefit to me. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm again, if someone brings a dog onto the airplane and it's a legitimate license, right. are they licensed? I don't know if they're licensed, I, but I don't know I'm exactly. fine with that. I would be totally fine with that. Partially also because they are trained, right? You don't just go and get a support dog that is fresh out of the Wherever. Exactly. There's a lot of training involved with support dogs, for sure. I don't. How do you even train a peacock? I, I, I don't think you do. I don't think you do. I think peacocks just... What about the poor hamster? The hamster... Is, we'll get to the hamster in just a second because it's, <laughs> it's, it is a sad story, but I, I'm puzzled by the fact that so many people now have taken... have decided that without any kind of guidance or without any kind of doctor's involvement... They have self-diagnosed that they need a support animal of some kind. And I'm not sure what this says about us, that we have so many people. Maybe it's a legitimate thing. Maybe we have this many people that are this hurting that they are self-diagnosing pets, which I suppose is better than heroin, but, or, or alcoholism. But what is it? How have we got, nobody, Susan, you could not have seen this 20 years ago. Someone show up at the airport with a peacock and say, this is my support creature. Uh, no. No, I... Something has happened that these people would believe that we're going to say, oh, sure, great. Yeah, bring it on board. I <laughs> don't even know what to say to that. I, I've i never felt better around a peacock than I have, like, without a peacock. So... But imagine at work, okay? So whether it's us with the spectator or here or your office, wherever your office is, and someone suddenly shows up with an emu and says, this is my support emu. Emus are big. This is, well, okay, we can find something smaller. This is my personal emotional support wild turkey. And I mean the bird, not the drink. <laughs> <laughs> there, there might be some of that in desk drawers. <laughs> I don't know. This is my personal emotional support wild turkey. Do you think yeah. most bosses are going to say, well, if it helps, sure, let it run free through the office. Uh, not in, not at the spectator, but I mean, there are workplaces where people you know, are welcome to bring their dogs in and that sort of thing, which I think is pretty cool. That'd be really fun. But uh, I don't, I don't know if there are workplaces that allow wild a menagerie and pot-bellied pigs and et cetera, et cetera. It's my pet I don't know. boa constrictor. Can I let him free in the office for a couple hours just to stretch his legs and get some, you know, poor choice of words. But nonetheless, you know what I'm saying. Like I just, <laughs> here's my, here's the python or again, let's, let me bring in my peacock into the office and just. Well, yeah, like where's the, right? 
<laughs> yeah, just let that peacock free and let's see what happens. I just, I don't see anyone any... tuning in right now that's really going to wonder about. Yeah, I'd like to know what the what the guideposts are now around what animals are okay. So you said, yeah, some places allow you to bring your dog. Yeah. I don't know of any that allow you to bring your cats, mostly because there's a lot of people like me who are allergic to cats. And so now you bring in a cat and it ruins the office space for everyone else. But okay, so dogs, but beyond that, honestly, what would you be, if someone brought in a- I like horses. <laughs> someone I, brought in their, their that horse. Would so, that would be fun. It would I could be, just ride around the newsroom. Be like Lady Godiva with clothes. It'd be awesome. <laughs> just around the newsroom. Just everyone take turns. It'd be like a petting zoo in there. <laughs> Yeah. I, 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 maybe I'm maybe I'm just being way too strict with this. Maybe people would love it if their office is turned into petting zoos. I don't know. <laughs> I've, uh, as I say, I, I got, I, I missed the part about the animals. It's the people that I'm just struggling to find out when we got to the point when everybody, everybody needs, a- needs something. You know, we had at the, at the, now this is not a political discussion, but when the last U.S. election happened and Donald Trump won, there were universities that had been very much against him that had crayon drawing, like crayon and coloring rooms and with teddy bears that you could cuddle with as sympathy things to deal with this. It's like, really? Really? Like you're an adult. And I know people have, there are people who have legitimately, Susan, we know this, have emotional issues, psychological, psychiatric issues. Again, that's not what we're talking about here. It's, there's got to be a point at which you say. Pull yourself together. Thank you. I mean, is, is that harsh? I, I think uh, for some people it might be, but I think, uh, you know, yeah, we, we need to just be able to get through the day without a peacock. <laughs> I don't know. Is that? Well, I, I'm I'm in agreement. I I've actually thought today. I don't know where <laughs> I would get a peacock. First of all, I don't know where they're just. You can rent a peacock. Maybe there's places. But I've thought I'd love to do a test and bring one into the spectator newsroom and say this is my emotional support peacock. I need oh, him you? here. Could you do that? Because that would be so much fun. You I know mean, what would I happen? Be there I, I don't know peacock behavior very well, but I got to think in an enclosed area with a lot of people and noises and stuff, this peacock is going to freak out. It's, it's, it's suddenly going to be. The peacock would, but I don't think, I don't think any of the journalists would. They, you know, they'd maybe look up from their screen for a minute and they go, huh, a peacock and like right back at it. Right. We had, I remember one time in the newsroom, I looked up and there were two guys portaging a canoe through the middle of the newsroom. I, to this day, don't know what that was about, but they just like right through the entire newsroom and nobody said anything. Uh, but the, we did have an animal, a big, scary animal in the newsroom one time. I was writing a piece on a guy named Dewey Robertson, who was a professional I, I wrestler. I remember Dewey Robertson. Who, por- who played a character known as the missing link. And he would, Dewey walked in, he's deceased now, he's a nice man. He walked in, yep. dressed in a suit and... He went into the back room to get ready for his photo shoot and emerged as the missing link who was just wearing wrestling trunks. That was it. He puts on a hairpiece just sitting at the front like a poof, a snowball at the front, and his whole face is painted green and black. And he came around the corner the same time as the newsroom assistant, Pat, came around the corner and she came <laughs> face to face. And sc- I've never heard anyone scream that loud in Do my... Do we? Do we scream? No, she <laughs> jumped and screamed. I think that's what would happen if we brought a peacock or a llama or something into the newsroom. I, I, if, you have, if you're listening and you have an office that you believe that the people there, the boss there would say, you need an emotional support animal of some kind, a rodent, a reptile, a personal support tortoise, Go ahead. If you've got that, I would love to hear from you. Radley at 900chml.com. You tell me if your office would be good with this, because I don't think there's too many that would. Actually, I'm thinking I may do this on the show one time. See if I can get people to bring into the studio here their personal support <laughs> animals and see what we could get going. Probably have deaths and the food chain would be alive and well in here. I don't want to see that, actually. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Either the most clever girl guide ever or kind of going against the the ethic of the girl guide thing 
because she had it's girl guide cookie season, so she was selling her boxes of cookies, and she was trying to think where could I go to sell girl guide cookies, pure innocent girl guide cookies. Well, she decided to set up shop outside a marijuana dispensary in San Diego and sold 300 boxes in one hour, <laughs> which some people have said makes her, makes her the most clever girl guide ever. And others are saying that's not really what the girl guides should be all about, which yeah, I take it you're with her on the business <laughs> acumen side. Yeah. Good on her. She's thinking. Yeah, she ra- she she made over fifteen hundred dollars <laughs> banking on people having the munchies. I guess and, you know, one stop shopping for all your needs. Why not? I mean, this is we could do that here. I mean, you I know, w- we're only a few months out from from legal weed in in Ontario. We can see. You it know? got me thinking that if I was a fast food place. I would try to buy land next to every single one of these dispensaries and set up a 24-hour Taco Bell, yeah. McDonald's, whatever else. You get a pizza place. You you People walking in there late at night, they're going to want to stop in. I could make a fortune. Makes sense. Yeah. But I didn't think that a... Girl guy cookies. That's brilliant. I, didn't, I don't know how old she is here. She's quite young. She's probably eight or nine. But I, you know... I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it flies in the face of the ethos of the girl guides. I mean, it's probably not exactly what they had in mind when they <laughs> launched the girl guide cookie thing. But it's a fundraiser, right? So it is a fundraiser. raising funds. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, would it be different if it was, I mean, I don't know. Would it be different if it was in front of a liquor store? Because you know what? You walk into a liquor store oh, and always, the, yeah. the the guys are there selling the, uh, the poppies or the apples. apples. Is it different than that? No different. I, I, I tend to agree with you. I don't think if, if you can have the Boy Scouts or the cadets selling apples outside of a liquor store, which to me isn't as smart because when you're walking into a liquor store, who's wanting to eat an apple? No, but the idea I know, is if you I have know. money to spend on liquor, you have money to contribute to a good cause. I, I understand. I get that's <laughs> the point. But this is different because this she's actually tapping into a need. When they do want something to munch on, I'm told. This is going to be a thing. This, this, I think, you don't think she's on to something. You don't think that next weekend there are going to be girl guides everywhere at the marijuana dispensaries around California? In two, uh, yeah, so this is, and this is not the first time this apparently has happened. Uh, but last time was 2014 and the person was chased away after selling 117 boxes in an hour and they decided, no, that's not going to go. Anyway, just away. I guess the dispensary did not want to be brought down by having something like the girl guides involved. <laughs> I, I, I don't quite get the thought. You know, if you're chases away a girl guide. You know, if you're a marijuana dispensary and you're offended by the fact that the girl guides are outside, I think you may have your priorities <laughs> you, somewhat you backwards. Have an image problem. Yeah, yeah. things may not be going really well if you think the girl guides are bringing you down. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Susan Claremont's been sitting in and you have a great podcast about a story that you've covered for years and years and years and years. Uh, Take a few seconds and for people who don't know about this, tell us about it. Yeah, this is uh, the Hamilton Spectator's first uh, big serial podcast and it's called Covering Diane. And it uh, refers to Diane Ruwendowitz, who was uh, a young nursing assistant who was murdered in 1981. And her murder went unsolved for 17 years until uh, an arrest was made, and, and that was the arrest of Robert Badgero, a name and everyone knows that probably name probably familiar to a lot of people. So he became the first person in Canada to be tried four times for the same first degree murder. Um, so the serial podcast, rather than just simply retelling the the story that has been in the Spectator so many times over so many years, this is actually a look at the journalism behind the story. The Spec has owned that story and that case. Uh, for almost 40 years now, Scott. And this is about um, uh, the journalists who have covered it, myself included. It's about um, the legal challenges that we faced, the ups and downs of, of covering one murder case for almost four decades. 
if you like the movie The Post, if you like the movie, uh, what was the other one that was uh, fr- from filmed in Hamilton here? The other, uh, about the Boston, the priest. Oh, uh, uh, oh, yeah. The other, if you like journalism movies, um, this this is in, it's not a movie, obviously, it's an audio, but I mean, it fits in with that and it's uh, it would be of great interest to you. You can find it at the spec website, thespec.com. Just got to scroll down a bit. You'll find it there. It's called Covering Diane. Uh, how many parts is it? Five parts. Uh, we're two episodes in already, and uh, the third will come out on Wednesday. Excellent. Well, it's excellent. So be sure to go take a listen, download it, listen to it. And you know what? You can be in touch with Susan and let her know what you think and be in touch with the editors. Tell them if you think this is a good idea or not for future ones. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.